Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Teal, and today we are here talking about digital learning and the flow of work. And I'm not alone. I have two luminaries of the learning and development world with me throughout the world, brought here through the magic of the StreamYard Virtual Studio. So please welcome to today's podcast, Matt Donovan, Chief Learning and Innovation Officer. Hello, Matt. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be here. Awesome. And we also have from down under, Mr. Ben Cahir. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we're excited. So, Ben, first of all, you are the Managing Director of Learning Solutions for APAC. So, that's Asia, Pacific, and China. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Okay. I've cool. been down and, and in Asia for the last, well, all my life, but in Asia for about 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Okay. So, before we get down to the business at hand, one of the things that we're liking to do this year is just having each of our guests uh, share a little bit about themselves and then one fun fact. So I'm going to put Ben on the hot seat first since you're you okay. are fresh. You've had a good eight hours of sleep here. So mm -hmm. just share a little bit about your background and then one fun fact about you. Yeah, so I've been in the L&D space specifically around leadership and professional development for about 20 years now. Uh, and I look after GP Strategies uh, Australia and Southeast Asia operation, but I also, you know, still straddle looking after our uh, leadership practice for Asia Pacific. And I, in the last seven years or so, have really focused in on uh, learning experience design and modern learning transformation for organizations here in the region. So, you know, that's my, really my passion. And it actually connects to the fun fact, which is that uh, I've enrolled, I'm in the middle or at the very back end, actually, of completing a master's in uh, learning sciences and technology, which has been pretty interesting. Um, I'm getting things out of it that uh, relevance to what I'm doing in ways that I didn't actually quite expect. So, so that's been fun, but also terribly daunting to move through. Well, that sounds like a fun fact for sure. And we appreciate that dedication uh, to excellence here. And Matt, of course, being a Hoosier and a longtime learning and development uh, professional, we need a quick bio from you here. I know you could go forever, but share a quick bio. This is your biggest challenge. Yeah, I think, you know, in the simplest terms, I'm a recovering instructional designer. I'm a classically trained, but <laughs> more recently, much as uh, Ben was talking about his journey, really focusing on modern learning design, how we leverage technology and I would say digital learning strategies to create meaningful human connections that drive to a learning outcome. So and ultimately performance. So that, that that's in a snapshot. Okay. And then one fun fact, not letting you off the hook. One fun fact. Let's see. So my stretch initiative most recently is that I had to do a stand-up comedy routine for a uh, national uh, comedy festival. So, and I have not done that before. I did successful, but that was one of my stretch goals. I try and find something that just terrifies me and I have to learn how to do it. <laughs> Stand-up comedy was one of them. So that is, I had a five minute set in front of a, you know, national quality audience. So it was, it was uh, quite oh my terrifying. So, 
But uh, okay, well, we're gonna schedule. We're gonna have a podcast, and you're gonna run that set. <laughs> I'll run the drums here, and there we go. We'll exactly. That's right. <laughs> Okay, cool. So thank you for that, gentlemen. Obviously, you both are highly qualified for today's topic. And that is, and I'm going to put it up on the ticker here for anyone that happens to be watching the vodcast. And that is really this concept of, I want you to just, first of all, define, let's just level set this. What do we mean by digital learning in the flow of work? So Ben, do you want to start with that and just see if you can uh, define that for our audience? Well, you know, I'm sure Matt will talk a little bit about moments of learning need, and I'll, I'll kind of leave that section for him to discuss. But for me, I come at it from a, a really practical standpoint, you know, which is that the, the science of adult learning is that we don't just learn something once and remember it forever. You know, we, we actually remember things and apply things over time. And learning needs to support that. And I, you've kind of got the word digital in there. You know, and, and the really, for me, the only reason why digital is in there is because now there's technology to enable learning in the flow of work in ways that just wasn't possible before. So that means not just learning and giving support throughout my job and my career, but also even that first moment when I'm learning something, how can I integrate that into work and make it relevant and situated in my real context? You know, so for me, that's what learning in the flow of work is. But Matt, I'll hand over to you to give your take. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you did a nice job summarizing it. I often refer back to the uh, five moments of learning need to kind of really call that out and focus on it. So when you, it's a, it's a nice premise put forward by Conrad Goverson and Bob Mosher, but the idea is that there are different moments of which we need to learn something where we're trying to do it. And so they, they had a premise that there's five basic learning needs. I've actually, of course, added two more because five's not enough. Uh, but the first five start off with um, when the first time I'm learning something. When you're learning something for the very first time, you need a lot of context, build information around it to help understand. So the first time I'm learning calculus or the first time I'm learning to do a really, really complex task, I need to think about it and build the construct around it. The second time I'm adding a little bit more to it, building on that base. The third one is at the moment of when I'm trying to apply it. Um, there's a certain type of learning that happens there. And then the fourth moment is when something changes in the environment. I need to learn how to do something slightly different. And then the last one is when something goes wrong. I need to figure out how to mm -hmm. fix it. So each of those do have differing levels of context, different types of support mechanisms that we have that are able to do it. And when we talk about in the flow of work, really talking about moments three, four, and five, when I'm applying back in the job, when something goes wrong and something changes, we're really looking at that learning in the flow of work. It means I don't leave my work to go do the learning. I bring the learning into and it's tied to the task at hand to be able to do that. So it's an important distinction. And how you support that differs and changes based on your need. I don't need all the context. Don't walk me through the history of a problem when I'm trying to figure out how to fix something when it goes wrong. <laughs> Help me find that small thing to be able to do that. So it is different the way we support the humans we wrap around us, that performance support network, the humans and the content and the digital, all of that wraps around you for your um, at, in the flow of work. And this is fantastic. I have my hand, even though I'm big on the tech stuff, Sometimes you just need to, when EF Hutton is speaking, you need to jot down notes here. So I've been doing this, and it's actually funny. I'm here in Michigan supporting a virtual reality demo this week, and everything you're saying is speaking to me about, you know, you've got the concepts, 
and I'm kind of in that three, four, and five moment right now, and I'm just seeing all, all the, the things unraveling in my head going, oh, I'm totally doing that right now. So it's, it's so fun uh, when, you're, when you're speaking to that here. So Ben, my question for you would be this, and because I know you're actively engaged in these conversations mm. day in and day out. Why is this topic of, and let's put digital aside for a second. Let's just talk learning the flow of work. Why is this so hot right now? Well, one of the things that's actually emerged from the research that I'm doing is how ineffective workplace learning has been for decades and decades. You know, it's, um, and especially in my domain, and, I, and by that I mean, you know, leadership and professional development, it's, it's, it's one of the most complex learning pieces, right? It's you've got to change your mindset, your behavior, you've got skills you've got to learn, you've got to go and deploy those in multiple different contexts, you know, so, and, and that context is going to be different for every single person. So it's a, it's it's a very difficult domain of learning and so when i look at what's going on in society right you've got disruption from automation affecting jobs you've got you know we've all heard about the great resignation and the difficulty in retaining talent <laughs> right now um i think covid just compounded well, I don't think, I mean, the research is already kind of pointing to the fact that it's just compounding a problem that's already been emerging or a change that's been emerging for some time. And so I think the urgency for organizations is, and including GP strategies and every other company out there, is in a world where technical skills and process skills are potentially being disrupted through automation and, you know, we're finding that digitization is is taking certain customer-facing tasks away. And, you know, the nature of our job is changing. But the skills that will be left are people still need to be led. People need to be problem-solving. People need to be thinking through things. So it's these higher cognitive skills, these social skills, you know, from coming from my perspective. And the reality is organizations for forever have only invested in those areas for their top talent. You know, they're new leaders, they're senior leaders, um, you know, and there's a huge swathe. If you're a bank with 100,000 employees, traditionally, it's been very difficult to execute learning for that whole population. You've only hit segments. And so I think when you put all of that together, right, the scale of trying to reskill and upskill my workforce, the, the, the urgency to do so through disruption and change, when you, when you string all of that together, that ability, and I have to put digital in there as well, that ability to integrate learning into the flow of work, to create an agile learning culture where people aren't waiting to be told what to learn, but are in a habit of learning in the flow of their work. And then the company enabling that to happen, creating that culture is, it's not just a nice to have, it's a must have. Uh, and that's what I'm dealing with right now in Asia is clients trying to navigate that. Um, and there's a lot of noise out there. So it's not easy to, to do, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely an important need right now is is not just learning in the flow of work, but using technology to enable that in your business. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what are your thoughts on this in terms of trending? I, I know that Ben has shared a lot of insight, but what's your take on it? I mean, you know, if you think about March of 2020 for all of us, it was a defining moment, especially in the L&D space. I mean, March 2020, we all isolated around the world. We had to find different ways we connected with customers. We had to find different ways we collaborated with each other because we went out of our normal face-to-face -face modes or our live modes, and we had to change things. That disruption said we had to take common core skill sets and practices and behaviors and do something different with it. So now, all of a sudden, I don't have 90 days 12 weeks to roll out a really cool training program to upskill everybody to figure out how we need to do this. So the idea is that you have to get into 
and build upon the things we know how to do. If we all have the fundamentals of collaboration, but we're going to use a new technology, I don't have to teach you everything on you know, the, the 101 level of collaboration. I got to build on and talk about how we're going to apply it differently in the context of why we're trying to do this. So if you think of March 2020, June 2020, et cetera, every couple of months, there was a new change that was happening. So the, the idea that we can go into those first modes, take a step back, teach everybody everything, a completely different thing. It takes too long and, and we're too slow to be able to drive it out there and do that. So, so workplace learning has to help meet that increasingly uh, disruptive world. We have to be able to do it. We aren't all starting from scratch. We are learning new things. And that's where I think the two other moments of need really are important to kind of come in. I talked about the first five. Those are what I call convergent. Those are all about making everybody get better at a certain point of performance. Mm -hmm. But what if I need to do something different? If I need to innovate or I need to grow for a different role, that means I had to do something different than I did yesterday. But I'm doing that often in the context of my work. I'm innovating for something new. That's what we call a divergent look at that. So that also happens in the point of work as well. So, so a lot of how we've traditionally thought about design systems being very linear are now right. starting to look like continuing con, you know, iterative cycles. So, so it's not this you know, stair step or linear path. You're going through these evolutions of these curly cues as we kind of go through. Mm. We may be visiting the same skill sets, but we're applying them differently. Something's changing, something's evolving, and we're learning now to do it differently. So how do you do that? You can't wait top down. That means you have to create an ecosystem that wraps around it. You have to have performers, experts, a range of mentors and coaches and things like that to bring in support. And Matt and Michael, if I could just add a point yeah, that I was thinking please, yeah. about, I think there's a danger in tying in both Matt and I kind of referred to the current urgency, right, uh, of COVID especially and how that's accelerated things. But and I think companies kind of almost use that as a shield. Oh, things will return back to normal or this is just an <laughs> exceptional time we live in. It ain't. I mean, there may be some return in some areas but this things aren't going back right because this trajectory was already in flow for a long time before covid but i just want to point out from a learning standpoint this is an opportunity right and this is one of those interesting things that's come out of my my studies recently is just learning about the science of learning for over the last hundred years and one piece of a lot of learning research like all scientific research is disputed right but but one thing that comes through is um, the forget curve and how spaced mm. repetition and, and, and integrating that in the flow of work or any learning experience or pathway helps people remember and retain things. Previously, when you only had classroom training and maybe like 60-minute e-learnings as your only modality of learning, spacing that out over time and using things like spaced repetition was just not possible, right? But now you've got the ability to bring learning into the daily habits of work. And so you're going to tap into that science of what we know about learning is yeah. that we space learning over time. It's more effective. And for adults, if we can root it, situate it in their real context, adults are more likely to want to learn because adults ignore things when it's not relevant and when it's not situated in my context and there's no urgency. So, so it's an opportunity here for us to do learning better, not just because of COVID, because that's the way the human mind learns. I love that. And you know what What you're saying is actually reminding me of uh, a saying I heard uh, probably about a month ago. And it was that if you think about our world now, that we are, and I think I wrote this down here, that we're drowning in a sea of information 
but we're thirsting for knowledge. And, you know, with everything out there that's possible, I think that's a nice tee up for the challenge in the conversation mm. that you're leading to is, okay, learning the flow of work, we like it, it makes sense. You've got a forgetting curve. We have convergent needs, divergent needs. So what are some of the overall considerations that organizations should be thinking of here? So Matt, why don't I start with you on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a range of things that they need to consider. I think one of them is that it changes. You first got to design for relevance. So the system has to drive relevance. What I mean is, is that when we shift to being able to enable people at the point of performance, i.e. their work, you need not everybody's going to have the same need at exactly the same time. So that means that the system has to shift from a complete push into a pull system that allows us to actually go out and get what I need at that point. So two things. One is the first rule of a modern learning experience, which includes this you know, workplace learning, uh, is really that the learner has to take accountability for their journey. Okay. That means that it's my job to actually start to figure out what do I need to know and at what point in the journey do I need to know it? Is it the first time I'm learning something? Do I need to innovate? Does something change? So I start to do that. The organization shifts from just kind of creating these closed learning systems and they're really creating what we call the ecosystem that wraps around the learner. So with their initiative and their accountability, the organization is giving them what they need in order to succeed. That includes content, that includes information, that includes micro coaches, micro mentors, all of the things in the system that helps them find what it is that they need to be able to deliver their, their system. So you're going from a, a system that focuses on putting out discrete assets or courses. This is into creating a learning, um, what I would say, a learning ecosystem with learning experiences that meet you wherever you are on that need continuum. That's, that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Ben, have you had any examples or uh, real life type implementations with this yeah i mean we're constantly in this phase you know we're getting hit with you know a bank or or a manufacturer that says we want to train eight thousand leaders in the next two years um in, in a whole range of skills and guess what you know those traditional modalities of learning that you might have applied to leadership training such as classroom training or mildly blended classroom training um you know it's just not going to work right and so we find that Yes, ruthless relevance, I think, is at the center. And again, coming back to adult learning principles, if it's not relevant to me, I'm not going to pay attention to it. And by the way, that applies in a classroom too. You just you just because they're locked in the room <laughs> doesn't mean that they're paying, paying attention. As a facilitator, I know that there was always like one table in every training room that just weren't into it you know they weren't paying attention so that applies in all contexts it's nothing new so so definitely ruthless relevance and creating that pool right but at the center of that is it, it is a complex thing to design for in, in in a way right you've got to understand your learners right so we use design thinking to go in and you know build out and do empathy sessions and i always stress that it's not just the learners you've got to empathize with it's the business you've got to empathize with what is the current learning culture in that company what is the current infrastructure what, what what is the perception when i say the word digital in this company do people recoil in horror about the the boring <laughs> compliance trainings they've been forced to do for the last seven years you know these are things that you have to consider so when we're doing that empathy phase i'm not just looking for ways that i'm going to package the learning or ways i'm going to create relevance or you know how do i respect their time and make sure the right number of minutes is spread out over time 
I'm also looking at change management. So a key design consideration that I'm constantly having to manage is, is change. So you might put things into your design, into the experience, or even into the whole ecosystem that, that actually aren't there to support the learning directly. They're there to integrate people, to excite people, to get people to make that shift and make that change. I think, you know, it's the opposite of field of dreams. You know, in field of dreams, they used to say, like, if you build oh, it, course. they will come. It's the exact opposite of that. If you build it, it's highly likely they won't come. You need to do more work. You know, it's probably the more, you know, you got to put the popcorn and the hot dog sales, meaning you got to go out and sell tickets. You got to promote it. And then you got to make sure it's a really good game when they get into the stands, you know? Oh, and so, I love it. I'm more impressed that you were able to drop a baseball reference from the location you're at here. If I had well, a I would consider it more of a cinematic thing, reference than a baseball reference. But, <laughs> but yeah. So look, that's for me, you know, if I was if listeners were there thinking about this, yes, think about the content, Matt's points around ruthless relevance. They're all thing you know, generating pull, respecting time. They're all things that pull you in, but consider the state of the business and learner perceptions as well. And factor that into how you're gonna launch it, how you're gonna communicate about it, and so on. So I'm hearing a couple of things from you both. Number one, you, it has to be relevant. You also, in this modern time, need to also have a bit of a, a marketing and promotion to this in terms of attracting individuals, a what's in it for me type aspect uh, and, and having a bit of, of that in there. Do we have any examples, anything that we can just share with our audience? I know we've yeah. talked a lot of nice strategy. Any tactical examples that don't really violate client confidentiality. I, I want to share, I've been working on this model, how to turn this into a framework or a model, but it's like, how do you integrate not just ruthless relevance, but the powerful whys I should care about whatever it is I'm learning into a, a, a learning experience, right? And I've kind of got this visual of a, a spiral of whys, right? So on the outside of the spiral, you, you you've kind you of- mean why as in W-H-Y, correct? W-H-Y, like why should okay. I, as a learner, why should I yes. click okay. on this, consume yes. this, you know, got participate it. in got this? It. So if you kind of start on the outside of the why, it's like, you know, at the top of, of, of a screen might be the first thing I see should be a why. And then I go down on that spiral and the last thing I should see is a why. And then I go up and I'm going to the left and the right of whatever's on that screen and the edges of it should be a why. And then as I zero in and I'm scrolling in to the actual individual videos and content pieces and assessments, they also need that why tied in there. And so one of the things I work really hard on my design team is this spiral of why you can't just say at the top hey this is important because it's going to help you in this blah 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 way right it's got to be repeated it's got to be reframed and contextualized throughout because otherwise people forget especially if you're talking about learning spaced out over eight weeks or 12 weeks or or, or permanent you know living systems living learning ecosystems mm. so so that's something that i've done with with a, a bank a number of banks in singapore around leadership training is integrating that powerful why on the top layer, on the sides of it, in the middle, at the actual text level, and making sure that that flows all the way through the journey. I don't know if you can see this, my, my paper. I've got, yeah, I've I can got, see the, the spiral of whys. I'm gonna try to patent pen that after this, by the way. Hold on, That's, hold on, I'm Googling oh, okay, pat wait. patents right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Matter of fact, next time we have a proposal, that we're working together, we're gonna we're gonna turn that into a cool animation for sure. Uh, that's that is a fantastic, a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Matt, anything from your extensive experience that you could uh, bring to the table as an example of 
yeah, I mean, of I, learning flow of work. One, one that I think would be easy that we could probably all relate to um, is think of an expense reimbursement system. So, so I think many of the folks that are listening to this and all of us have had to fill out an expense reimbursement at some point. And we all know that as companies will, they may change the platform or the technology they use where you have to enter in your expense reimbursement in order to get it all done. So let's say a company is going to roll out a new expense reimbursement form. You kind of think about this in a variety of ways. Historically, you know, we would have said it's going to launch in January. So in January, I'm going to roll out training. I'll walk everybody through the new interface, I'll walk them through, I'll show them how to do, you know, enter them in, I'll show them a lot, I'll spend an hour, maybe record something, they got to go in and watch. Um, and then I may give them some job aids. And then if they're really, you know, got some deep questions, maybe we'll give them the user manual. That was the historical way to think mm. about it. But going back, what Ben is really talking about, what we know about learning research is the fact that in January, you rolled out the expense, but let's say it's after the holidays, it really hasn't picked up yet. Travel's not there. It's the new system. But, you know, what do I do between, you know, June when I, my first travel is going to be? I have six months between the training and when I actually decide to fill in an expense reimbursement. Trying to believe that I will remember that one hour training that I took on the LMS. And I checked the box and it's done. And I'm going to remember the seven, eight steps on how to enter that. It's not going to happen. No. So we recommend thinking of, of, of that design strategy that says, so let's think about this in the terms of, of, you know, that first, you know, first time I'm learning about the new system. First of all, the big association here is I want everybody to understand. I want to have confidence. You all have done an expense reimbursement. If you haven't, it's a simple concept, but here's the thing. You did it before. You're going to do them again. The only thing that's different is we have another tool that we do it in, and many of the same features in the process are similar. You're just entering it differently. So first of all, I want to build confidence, and I want you to realize that, that the system is pretty much, it builds off of things you already know, the context you have. So instead of trying to teach you everything, I'm trying to do two things. One is build your confidence, show you just in general what it looks like, and then show you where to go when you have a question and you need to figure this out. In June, when you have to figure this out, how do I go back to the system to get what I need? Who do I talk to? Where do I look? When something goes wrong, when something changes, where do I go? So let's say June, I filled it in. Beginning of June, end of June, it gets rejected. I got a credit card payment. I'm running late. I don't have the cash to pay it like I'd like to. What do I need to do? I got to figure out how to complete this. Where do I go when something goes wrong? I don't want you to tell me all about the system again. Help me solve. So what do you do when it's rejected? So having a searchable database of being able to say that from the user, as Ben was saying, how will I answer my needs when I have them? So identified today, I need to figure out how do I find that whole list of what do you do when something goes wrong? So as the organization, you're trying to anticipate when something goes wrong, there'll be some panic. They need to find this quickly. So you start to build these places in the system to do it. Humans, content, tools. Maybe there's a chat bot, an on-demand chat bot that I can put mm. in there. It can help find resources. Maybe there's actually a, a, a champion, a reimbursement champion in my group I reach out to. So the idea is that you're designing more of a holistic, ongoing system than you are just for the first moment and then expecting people to remember it. That's why it's in the flow of work, not just when I taught it to you. So it goes from a very org-centric world. We tell it when it's convenient for the organization. Upon the launch of the software, I need everybody to pay attention. 
Mm-hmm. I need to tell them everything, and then it's nice and neat, and I can check the box, and organizationally, I'm done. I told you everything <laughs> you need to know. Don't bother me. We're talking about a user-centric that says, forget what the org wanted to tell me efficiently. When will I need it for me to be effective? And so that's where it gets more complex. To Ben's point, that's why you got to bring in the learner experience. When, how will they perform? What are the conditions? How do they feel they need to get this information? What would you like to have? The business stakeholders, how will you measure success? How will we know it's working? Now you need to measure your system, not in terms of I launched it and you completed it. I want to know that not only was it relevant, but how did you use this content to solve a problem? So now you're thinking differently about how you're measuring, how you're supporting, how you're enabling, but it, but you're never done. You're continuously improving. You're adjusting. But here's the real trick. It's not on the design organization, the L&D group, to put it all out there. That's why you bring the learners into that performance support system. Your champions, your experts, your range of expertise from, from newly, I've solved the problem, to I've been doing this for 10 years. Everybody has a role in the community to help each other. And that's you've got to spend time building that. That's the human base. So anyway, just through that example of the expense that's reimbursement, you think differently. Example. How you break that down? Big question is customers are out there saying, or we all are saying, what's the one platform to rule them all? Like, is there one thing that will just do everything? And the answer is, at least not right now, probably not, right? But just use that expense reimbursement. You know, there, there are platforms that integrate learning into the flow of a process or a system, right? So you've got a CRM right? A customer relationship management system. And as I'm at this certain stage of a, of a sale, a video will come be there that I can watch about what should I say to a customer or what action should I take here, right? So so there's a good example, right? But technology is really the way to, to control and manage all of this and make it accessible, right? It's one thing to have job aids right. and coaches and, and all those things Matt was describing, but the way that I actually show people that they exist and, and put them front and center and let people interact with them, that's going to be probably some form of technology, right? And there's lo-fi and hi-fi versions of that. And, you know, in automotive, we work with some some manufacturers here in the region that aren't super excited about rapid change to their learning ecosystem, to be perfectly honest, right? But what we're doing is working around, hey, we've already got this LMS. We're not super happy with it. We need to roll this out. We don't think people are going to remember it. So what we're doing is we're working with very basic stuff, right? Virtual sessions, some really micro e-learnings. But what we're doing is adding in a, a spaced repetition layer that's, that exists by itself. You just turn it on when you need it, right? And so, you know, it'll pulse out little questions. Hey, what do you remember about this this Acara vehicle assessment tool? Right. And, you know, it prompts them to recall and remember. And what we've done is we've tied in the help function into that system. So what it also does is it drives them to the habit of using the help system that they have access to that they may otherwise ignore, right? And so, so there's lots of little ways you can do it. It doesn't have to be um, high-tech, there's a lot of technology out there if, if you've got the budget and the time to do it. Um, but you can also find ways to kind of insert little opportunities and little technologies yeah. that are maybe don't break the bank and don't require a huge rethink to try to extend that learning, you know. And so that's there's some spaces that we operate in. Now, Ben, ben picks up a really good point. I think this is one of the other things around workplace learning that's fundamental. It's been a problem in our space for years is the fact we struggle with what I call knowledge management. It's been called a variety of things, but organizations struggle with all of the knowledge that they've got out there. How do you make it accessible, findable, retrievable? 
And that's been an issue for 60 years. And, and the problem is it's getting so bad now because we're generating so much mm. information daily right. that it's harder and harder to find what we need. Underlying all of those technologies that we're talking about is a robust knowledge management strategy from an organization that allows you to do that. One that is both taxonomical and folksonomical. And what I mean by that is, it's not just taxonomically how we as experts or scientists want to organize the world. So if you think of a library, the Dewey Decimal System is a great taxonomical structure. It goes by author, by subject, da, da, da. But when I walk into a library, I know the Dewey Decimal, but I never use it. You know what I look at? I look at the big <laughs> category. <laughs> I use the big yeah. categories. Where is this? I want to get something on sports about somebody somewhere. And then I'll generally ask a human, the librarian, to help me out. But I use the big signs. That's the folksonomical search. Okay. You so, Stucker, you said folksonomical? Folks, as in folk, F-O-L-K. Okay. Folk. From, from it's a, a Latinism. It's a... <laughs> It's actually, it's actually a term out there. I didn't invent it. Oh, I, is I, it? I <laughs> no, it's an actual term, but it's how it. you it's use great. language to be able to be it. So it's the language of the people to be able to retrieve it versus the language of the elite or the science to say, this is where uh, we put it. And this is the problem is the people historically in knowledge management, people that put it are not the people that find it because mm. they know where they put it. They assume it makes sense to where it is. It's like my wife in our kitchen. She puts the spices in one place, and it's a crazy place to put the spices. Why wouldn't you put them right here? Well, it's a difference between a user-oriented mindset and an actual, uh, I put it here because of different criteria, author, location, things like that. That criteria She's that not going to be mindset. listening to this, hopefully, because nope. I want to keep nope. your, no, 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 your no. house it's, happy. It's an argument. It's an okay. argument in our house. It is. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. We've, we've talked about a, a lot here today, and I don't want to keep you all too long, especially Ben. You know, he's got to start his day. He's, he's got emails going. Yeah, it's so Let's, early in the morning for me. Oh, I was going to say, you're just you're waking up at the crack of nine there, I'm sure. It's, it's winter. You're hibernating. So let's break down for our audience. What would be a few quick start tips here? Because as you said, this could be either elegantly small bits or it could be an all-encompassing element when it comes to trying to switch over to more of a learning in the flow of work. So let's talk about some quick start tips, just some basic things to get people going. What do you recommend, Ben? Oh God, there's a lot of tips you could go for. I guess I'm going to focus on barriers that I observe in the market, right? And one of okay. them is, is cutting through the noise, right? The, you only go with what you know. And if all that you know is classroom training and e-learning and an LMS, um, and maybe now virtual training because of COVID, then that's what you're going to look for, right? You, you know, everything everything looks like a nail to a hammer, right? <laughs> and so you've got to kind of broaden what you what you can look for. So I would educate myself regularly around what's possible, because once you understand what's possible, and also you know what's associated with that, what does it take to implement, and what are the costs. Then when you're hit with new work problems, new learning challenges, you're going to have a much broader palette for which to paint with. Um, and, and, and it's a selfish one as well, because when by the time you've written that RFP and it goes out to 10 different you know, L&D providers or whatever it may be, 
and you've written it in a very structured way based on what you know and actually there's 10 other solutions out there you know maybe you're not evaluating appropriately maybe you're mm. missing out on opportunities you know so so i know it's a very kind of tactical practical thing but i think that's number one is is go out there and figure out what's out there understand the different technologies that are out there and what they can enable right don't try to buy them just educate yourself on them i think is probably okay. number one and then i just come back to my earlier tip is you know the the importance of learner and business centricity and that kind of if you build it they won't necessarily come so so make sure that when you're going out to scope a need as well as when you're starting and designing and building for it keep the learners and the business in the center don't put the content in the center right because if you put the content in center, you'd be like oh we need negotiation skills let's go and find a negotiation skills training and boom we roll out that and oh that's actually not the negotiation skills that we needed or it wasn't in the format that we needed. Put the learners and the business in the center and save the content and the modality for later in the conversation. They're probably my two oh, biggest those are, tips. Those are two, two fantastic. I drew yet another little lollipop looking icon of the spiral of why down here on my paper. So Matt, a couple parting shots from you. What would be a couple of other quick start tips? So three things I'd boil it down to ask, design, and measure. And in the simplest of terms, the next learning intervention that you're going out there, first off, start with asking them, why do they need to know this? When will they know this? How will it help them do their job better? And listen when you've asked that question. So start, ask ask the end users, one. Number two is design. When you've listened to them, you know, focus on that ruthless relevance, that streamline to meet those needs that they list. And if they say, we don't need to know the history of something, don't put it in the course. Don't provide a bunch of crap they don't need. So, so design based off of what you've listened. And the third one is really measure. When you go to measure, measure in terms of successful applications. How well did we help you meet a need? When did we help you meet that need? How did we do that? Ask those questions instead of, did you like it? You know, uh, that's a nice piece, but think about how and when they use it. Did it help them solve a problem? Will it help them solve a problem? Can they see that connection? So ask design measure you know start in the simplest ways you can just reframe a little bit of what you're doing you just want to get started i think that would make a nice tattoo by the way too yeah i can put it yeah with the rest of them that i got a nice collection of them <laughs> this is great you have dropped a lot of knowledge on me i'm sure our listeners are equally glow here uh, in their mind. So I want to thank you both for your time today. Uh, obviously, we're in different parts of the world, but we certainly appreciate you being part of the Performance Matters podcast. So on behalf of our listening public, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Matt. Have a good Thanks. one. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.